episode 276 of the Winning Six podcast. I'm your host, Adam McGee. Joining me as usual, it's Jordan Tresky. Hello there, Jordan. Hello. Hello, Jordan. And making a return to the podcast. Which he's going to have to bounce back here. People might be paying close attention to this. It's Rowan Cotty. Welcome back, Rowan. Hey, it's good to be back. But I would like to say that maybe I was not a curse because the last time I was on, they won the series. The Bucks did. Yeah, bro. You were the only person to be on for a loss. I'm just I'm taking positives. Well, well, the slate is wiped clean. The slate is wiped clean. It doesn't even even need to be because this is a different thing. So we can't. Last time, Rowan was booked for the post-Game 1 podcast. This time, we're not in a series. So he can't, he can't influence a series that hasn't yet begun. So we should be safe unless the Bucks lose Game 1, which in that case, there might just be you know, some people, not me, not I, but some people may Jordan. decide to you know, glare in your direction. <laughs> but we are, as always, glad to have you back. Um, we are going to... Really dive into Bucks Raptors and preview the series. Um, last time we recorded, I don't know when that was, but it was a wrap up. Oh yeah, it was. It was the very much. We have nothing left to say about this series wrap up that Jordan and I did for Book Celtics. Opposite of Terry Rozier. <laughs> very, very true. Uh, if only we could have got Terry Rozier on, he could have filled a lot of time for us. Um, and at that point, we're still waiting for the Bucks Conference Final opponent to reveal itself in the most dramatic circumstances possible the raptors emerged on sunday thanks to i mean why am i even going to describe the shot everyone has seen the shot even people who aren't into basketball who certainly in that case they're not listening to this but they have seen the shot um four friendly bounces ensure the raptors moved on and the number one team of the east He's playing the number two team in the East in the conference finals. Also number one and two in the NBA record-wise, right? Mm-hmm. Correct. Okay, so do we think they just give out Larry O'Brien? Not the trophy, you know? <laughs> Larry O'Brien? <laughs> oh, uh, that's, that's something that we should be keeping in the chamber for later. Um, before we start, before we dive into it, Jordan, um, you've been fraternizing with the enemy. You gotta, you know, it's it's you gotta make peace. It's wartime, well, that's, baby. That's what right? I wanted to talk about. <laughs> I haven't had a chance to listen yet, but Jordan has just appeared, fresh off an appearance. He's just going back to back. Someone's working the phones for him right now. Drake, 
hangs up one call, gets on another. Uh, but he's fresh off locked on Raptors, where what it seems like, from what I've seen on Twitter, you were doing that thing you do, Jordan, where you were coming across very friendly. I, that's just my general demeanor. I don't. I don't <laughs> it's, not a, it's not a bit. It's why did I say it like that? Bit. Anyway, it's not a bit. But uh, that's just how I am. These are. This is what I wanted to see from the beginning. I want to see two best teams, Tang on Cash, literally Cash, Chris Milton. I wanted to see them go at it. This is a, in my mind, it's a very more interesting matchup than what the alternative could have been. Yeah, well, I would have been okay with Sixers too. Um, Raptors fans, if there are any listening, basically the only reason I brought up Jordan's appearance on Lockdown Raptors, you may have heard him there. You may have said, "Oh, I like that guy." He talks some they sense. Did, they did say that. Doesn't they say a lot, but talks some sense, and you know, nice, friendly, respectful kind of guy. Um, we're not all like that. <laughs> That's that's really what I'm getting at here. Uh, there will be plenty of fiery Raptors talk. Plenty of it over the next hour or so, I think you'll agree. Rona at least have my back on that. Jordan will continue to be, you know, the very, um, not the face. We, we know he's not the face of Bucks Twitter. But, you know, if we're putting the best voice forward, the respectable voice of Bucks Twitter remains Jordan Tresky. Yeah, we've got to keep our friends close and our enemies closer. That is very true. All right. Let's get into it. We have two points each that we want to talk about. We'll kind of spend 10 minutes discussing them um, between ourselves. That's a win in six, 10 minutes. So that's, you know, roughly 10 minutes. That's, a, that's an American 18. That's um, an American 18. <laughs> but we're going to try and work through a few of these kind of key points and what may be really kind of decisive matchups, battles, adjustments that may have to play out across the course of the series. So we're going to start off. We'll start off with um, our friend to the north, you know, honorary Canadian, Jordan Tresky. Jordan, what is the first thing that we are going to talk about? We're going to talk about game uno. Un, one. Uh, like you said, Raptors come out, beat, literally sink the Sixers on the last possession of Game 7. First buzzer beater in NBA history. Did, did I see that correctly? It, For right? in seven. Game 7, not in Yeah, NBA Game 7, history. sorry. Sorry. Well, yeah. You, you know what I meant. Kind of, You're just, you, you go on one Raptors podcast and you get really overexcited. <laughs> With, uh, okay. Anyway. Uh, meanwhile, the Bucks have been sitting on the sidelines waiting for who they're going to face for it'd be a week right yeah yeah, week one day, yeah resting recuperating eating grapes i would assume like you know holding it and then eating it from the the, <laughs> the stuff. anyway what i'm trying to get at is that raptors are coming out of this crazy exciting last second uh win and it's be possible that you're going to have a bit of a hangover from it, a literal hangover. Um, and I think that could come into play. This is a, the Bucks. obviously last series game one went right to crap. I mean, Rowan knows he, he was <laughs> on that post game one podcast. <laughs> uh, Raptors obviously in first series uh, against Orlando, they got hit in the mouth too. 
I, I don't know. I just think it's a, it's going to be an interesting uh, opening statement, if you will, because there isn't like, I mean, for from what we know now, and this is roughly like what twenty seven hours before uh, the series starts tomorrow night. We don't know any adjustments or lineup changes like the Celtics made before game one, and maybe that informs some play, but I don't know. I, I think this is – it looks to be – we know what the Bucks look like when they're well-rested and all this stuff, and maybe uh, that doesn't work in their favor, at least from what we've seen this season, but I think that's – it's these are teams are coming on totally two different uh, spectrums in terms of entering the series. Yeah, the dynamic is different. It's not, I mean, we had two teams who had swept their way through the first round last time out. So the Celtics had just as much rest. And in, you know, on rest, the books don't necessarily play their best basketball and extended rest. Um, Giannis, more than maybe any other star, talks about his rhythm a lot, but he's not alone, actually. It's something that seems to be a discussion point across the roster, possibly because he sets that tone. He's uh, a but, maker. Yeah. Uh, it's something though that playing against a team that's just gone seven games is very different to when they were facing off a team that had also had the same amount of rest in the Celtics. I really have a feeling that the Raptors may have some kind of adrenaline dump here, that there may be some form of oh, I don't, I don't want to say letdown, but certainly. It could be tough to get going early, or if they come out fast, that they may kind of burn off the end because that's that's a lot. Sunday Sunday to Wednesday gives them a little bit of time, but the emotions that they went through and just the toll of that series, which was quite physical and it was a really hard-fought, mentally demanding series, definitely seems like something that, you know, that's the kind of series you would like a week off after. Um, not to mention the fact that, say, Pascal Siakam had dealt with some injuries and the latter half of that series didn't necessarily look himself. Kyle Lowry had some problems with, was it Tom, Tom or Tom. was it Tom? Okay. Yeah. Um, and, uh, news here. There's a photo posted of him in a full hand cast coming out of a plane. Is he wearing an ob glove? <laughs> <laughs> Would that help the shooting? It might. <laughs> I to to we'll leave Calary for now. We'll leave for just for now. Um, but I am I'm curious just to see what way the dynamic works that way. I the books have been so good at not repeating the same mistakes twice. That's that's something they've excelled really? at this year, with the exception of the Phoenix Suns. Um, <laughs> yep. As long as it's not the Phoenix Suns, the books just don't make the same mistake twice. And seeing as, you know, this isn't involving the Phoenix Suns in any way, I'm optimistic that we could see a pretty radical difference between Game 1 against the Celtics and Game 1 against the Raptors because coaching staff will drill them to uh, to be ready and to approach us in an entirely different way. And also, I think the players will take pride in it themselves. Plus, like, <laughs> let's not make any mistake here, the Bucks beat the Celtics in five games. Um in the end, it turned out pretty easy. It wasn't Pistons kind of easy, though. It's not like they're they're really coming in here cruising. They, they weren't tested at all. They just have to kind of... That they're going to kind of sleepwalk their way into game one, not thinking that this is something they have to be ready and ready to play to their best. 
so for me, I, I expect a much better books. I wouldn't be surprised if the Raptors have some after effects of Game 7 and all of the adulation and all of the emotional energy spent from that, plus just physical toll of the series overall. They've had more of a slog. They went five games in the first round too, so um, they've, that- got, they've got three extra games on the clock compared to the Bucks, and they are a team who, who their superstar, they had to deal with load management all throughout the season. So on the one hand, that's what that this is what that was for. But on the other, you know, the longer things go on and the the more that gets thrown at them, it'll be interesting to see how it adjusts. And this is the best team they've come up against. I mean, that's not just us talking about this through a books prism. Objectively, as good as the Sixers are, they're not the books. So they're in for a new test, and they're in for that test on top of everything else. Yeah, it's tough for the Raptors, especially to go from literally their best moment in franchise history to it's like okay we've got to get on a plane get recuperated and now we got to go play a better team it's just it's too much to expect them to come out of the gates just fully active ready to go where i agree with both of you where the bucks seem like they will be full throttle ready to go especially with some comments that players have made that i know jordan wants to talk about well i think i think another underlying aspect on this and this is you know I guess is a weird point to bring up, but you're coming from games from Toronto's point of view. You're coming from game seven, your best player attempted 39 of your 89 total shots. And they, (laughs) that's almost half of their total shots. They shot pretty miserably throughout the whole game. And you're going to series with what? Two, two days rest. And you only had a day of a day off between every game of the series. So there isn't like that. There isn't like that. Mm Mm-hmm kind of i mean we saw last series this is what we wanted as as bloggers to play the sixers because there was an inbuilt break in the series (laughs) so yeah and we didn't have to go seven games and actually do you know physical activity in the previous round so that's a good point like the i hope they got there if they didn't get the recovery there's none built in from now to then because yeah it's it's every second day and they're gonna have to deal with the travel elements on some of those days too Exactly. They're already sporting some kind of knocks here and there, like Siakam and Lowry's durability is always a question mark this time of year. But like, it's a war of attrition, first and foremost, really. And the Raptors are definitely the more tested team out of the Bucks in terms of just games played. Um, and obviously, you know, was it just game seven that only went to overtime in that series? Or was I, I'm. Game seven didn't like, go over. Yeah, there were no overtime. Oh, yeah, what am I talking about? Yeah, so a lot of those close games, I mean, they're playing a lot more clutch time minutes when the Bucks really didn't have to at all, I don't think. So I, I just think that 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 all, like, it's very small things, but over time that can add up and really kind of uh, throw you off your balance. And obviously Toronto's balance is kind of a question mark heading into the series considering just how much they have they had a dependent Kawhi to – make things work against Philly. I think the the point that Rowan made just about that being the greatest moment they've had in franchise history is actually a really good and interesting one too because they are coming off what is the highest of highs and it's not just that they're not getting a chance to kind of reflect on that or savor that and it's straight into let's go again, but it's also straight into 
you know, you're still absolutely nothing as a team if you don't get through this next round because they've now reached the point which is, you know, where they fall. If they get this far, this is where they fall. That is, that is the franchise's history. That's the baggage that they carry. And the roster may have changed, but for fans and for people who've been around the front office and the organization for longer, for players such as Kyle Lowry, um, it's, it is still something where you're like, wow, that was an incredible moment. But if we just go out and lose in four or five or six games, really, if they just lose in the conference finals, I mean, the narrative doesn't change. And a lot of the conversation then is going to be, you know, is this the end? And that must be a weird dynamic as well. Like going into game one and going into this series, if you're a player in that locker room and you're trying to imagine, okay, what is our future? you can't necessarily project because Kawhi is this massive unknowable. There's all these question marks over what his future will be. By design. And yeah, by design is true. Um, you would think that that game seven shot and everything that came with that gives your case a real boost, but because it's Kawhi, you still don't know. Like the, it really might just be, Oh yeah, that was a fun moment. I'm signing with the Clippers. And coming into the series, for that reason, it seems like something so much more for them where it's, you know, if you're a player on that team, if you're Pascal Siakam and you're like, or if, maybe he's not even the best example, if you're Kyle Lowry, because if this season doesn't work out and Kawhi walks and, you know, the Raptors end up kind of having to do a full teardown, like what's the next step in Kyle Lowry's career? So if you like being here and if you like being in contention in the East, this would be the time where the pressure is really on you to step up because you also have a teammate to sell on. This is a place worth staying. Um, so really a lot of play here, um, particularly for the Raptors. It says something about, I think, the personalities the books have, obviously the regular season success, but also how smooth the playoffs have gone for them with the exception of, of game one against the Celtics, where... The Bucks could be a team with so many of these questions because of all of the free agents, but they're just, they're not like, and it's really kind of incredible. It's probably actually a little strange. That it's not being talked about more at this point, even from kind of national media discussing the books, because it seems like everyone has just accepted the books are just, you know, they're a well machine. They're going to take care of business. There's no real drama there. And yeah, they're probably all going to come back together and go again next year or as much as they realistically can within them. So, yeah, game one is certainly one of the more compelling um, storylines going into the series straight from the off. How both teams come out is going to be pretty interesting and possibly telling on the overall direction of the series. Okay, Ron, you're up next. What do you want to start us off with? Well, it's only fitting that going into the Celtics series, the biggest question on everyone's minds was how is Brook Lopez going to fare? Is he going to get played off the floor? Is he going to be um, like a key piece of what the Bucks are doing? And so I guess the only way to start this is by saying how will Brook Lopez fare against uh, Mark Gasol and the rest of the Raptors front court because we haven't actually seen that matchup take place this season because uh, Mark Gasol got traded to the Raptors as most of you know after all of their matchups with the Bucks during the regular season had finished off so especially with Brooks struggling with his shot in the Celtics series it'll be interesting to see how he bounces back and with 
his shooting in general and how these individual matchups against whether it be Gasol or Serge Ibaka fare in this series. Yeah, I I think there's a few things with this that are kind of interesting. Um, one, if we're just talking about the Raptors' bigs and the size they have, not a lot of depth there. Um, more depth than the Sixers, who could have been the team to move forward to this series. Um, but really, Sergi Baca is your is your depth. And mm. in this series, there is a very good chance that he's going to share the floor with Gasol quite a lot. And then what are you going to ask us all to do? Or what really can he be expected to do? Like, he actually played more minutes than anyone in Game 7. He played 45 minutes. That was that was straight up because of Embiid, correct? It was. And he's a minus 10 in those minutes. And obviously, that's, a, that's down to Embiid. But there is also, like, at the point in his career, I can't help but feel there may be kind of margin of diminishing returns thing going on with playing Marcus all for 45 minutes and um, particularly in this series with some of the things the books could look to do to him whether that's uh brook drawing him out toward the perimeter or if it's you know Giannis attacking right at him or it could be meritage or urson likewise bring him out to toward the perimeter he's gonna have to do a lot more he may not have to deal with the physical bruising that you take when you're going up against you on for 45 minutes but I think he's likely to see a wider range of looks. And one of the things that really worked for the Raptors in Game 7 and towards the latter parts of the series, and probably one of the better adjustments that Nick Nurse went to, was he started to play more lineups where he had Ibaka out there with Gasol. He had Kawhi playing the two, possibly Pascal the three. Um, the thing about that is... If they want to play that game with the books, the books will say, okay, let's play that game. Um, we've we've talked about jumbo books quite a lot. We still haven't really got them in the playoffs. And I still feel like this is something Bud will want to go to I at mean, some we're, point. Uh, we're kind of getting that already with Mirtis starting. It's not it's not quite as absurd as it can be. It's not full Utah Jazz lineup. Yes, yeah, full Utah Jazz. Like, uh, Jumbo books for me is when Bledsoe is Bledsoe is on the bench. So Giannis or Middleton is your primary initiator. Or I guess even it could be Brogdon. It, Brogdon could do that. Just the extra bit of size too. I mean, yeah, for the most part, it works in principle with Bledsoe. Bledsoe's length certainly doesn't make him play as small as he otherwise would be, but it it is something closer to that crazy jazz lineup and what it did. It's where you're looking at three guys who are at least power forwards playing positions three through five. And that was so beautiful. Two small forwards. <laughs> it was effing beautiful. A small to forward and a power forward playing the backcourt. I mean, that's really I'm here for, you know, Yanis at the one, Chris at the two. Mirit is just a tree, Ursan at the four, and Brooke at the five. Let's do it. <laughs> crazy. Um, Nick Nurse is going to make more of those faces. He certainly will when that lineup <laughs> rolls off like a 30 to 0 run in like five minutes. Let's, he want, needs to get on the phone and ask Quinn Snyder about what that lineup can do. Um, but in all, in all seriousness, I think the Raptors are going to probably have to look to those kind of 
groupings again. Because what they're going to find out is they just can't go small on Giannis. Um, well, that's where, like, Ananobi being out for... He's out for game one at least, yeah. anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's just a lot of mystery about whether... Well, even if he does return, you're not going to get a 100% version of him. Um, and that's, that's going to be critical. He's also... I don't think it makes a difference. Honestly, I think that's one of those things... Like, he has shown himself in the past to be able to defend Giannis. A very different version of Giannis, and he's the kind of player that... Different bucks, too. Yeah, but as they as they met more frequently, it was like he was someone who they were able to brush off. Now, I'm not saying he's completely insignificant because they have no depth. They're going seven deep, um, which I don't... Seven... I can't even say seven deep because it is just not deep. They're two guys off Seven. the bench in Ibaka and Van Vliet. Um, it would obviously help to have him back but I don't know if it's solving anything in a major way I don't know if that's a good idea for them to be like oh yeah our solution to this series is we're going to play OG Ananobi for 36 minutes um, that would seem like a good way to be going home early I think I don't want to step on something we're going to talk about later um, but I think I think Ibaka is going to be really important for them defensively because I don't think Gasol will be able to stick with Giannis. I'm not sure Siakam will, and I think more than that, he is his importance offensively outweighs the risk of him picking up fouls, and he is not Al Horford. You know, he is not a whatever twelve year, thirteen year veteran who's incredibly savvy and defends exceptionally well without fouling. Um, if Giannis Blatant gets his head down and gets into, yeah, that's a very good point. Um, if Giannis gets his head down and gets into a real kind of a real rhythm of driving to the root to the rim, being really aggressive and getting to the line, someone like Siakam, I could see rack up fouls really quickly, mm-hmm. just by trying to be that extra bit physical, trying to be that extra bit handsy in defending him, um, where Horford. You're definitely right to make that uh, that addition to Rome, but at the same time, he still was smart enough to know when to when to back off of that and when to when to make it obvious that he was entirely innocent rather than just you know trying to get away with some stuff. I, I think to me that's something where I feel they're gonna have to lean into Ibaka, and what that does for the rest of their lineup is interesting, and what it does with Brook. I mean. Jordan, uh, you wrote about Brook and you wrote about his shooting the other day. I think you could probably add some more detail here than me, but if we're if we're believing in the numbers and we're believing in you know regression to the mean, he should be in line for something of a bounce back series here anyway, and that's even before we take into account the matchup that's likely more favorable. Yeah, I I definitely agree. If you look at where, if you just look at the you know shots that he's taking. Um, it's all good shots. It's just not going in. Obviously, there's nothing much more you can do and just hope that they go in eventually. Um, but if you look at just, if you kind of just break down like that particular, you know, front court, you know, versus front court, like I, I kind of agree with you. Gasol is kind of like this weird swing guy where he doesn't really, he's not a willing, he's not a willing shooter to the degree that Lopez is. 
Obviously, we've seen we saw that throughout the series with the Sixers, especially. Um, so offensively, you're hindering on him, like actually taking shots and making them because he can make them. But what does that do for the Bucks defensively? Do they go back to kind of what they were doing throughout the regular season? You know, using Lopez to drop back, all that stuff, and then offensively, like you know, if you're going to go again with size against Giannis and kind of wall off the paint, make it just incredibly tough for him to get through uh, throughout a over the course of a series. You're going to have give a lot of space to those shooters, like a Lopez, like a Mirotic, like Urson, and the minutes that he'll get, all that stuff, like. Eventually, that's going to add up, and obviously, you'd rather, if you're the Raptors, you'd rather see Giannis throw or give up to the, the give up the ball to the other those players. But I just think those little things over time uh, will burn Toronto because Bucks have shown that yeah they can have bad shooting nights, but overall, like they'll hit to where they get because they just throw they know what who they are what they are what they do all that stuff so uh well at this point yeah just going off of that a little bit and just going back to what adam was saying about al horford like al horford is we discussed this for the celtic series he's the best big defender that the bucks were gonna face and he's out of the way they're gone. They're not taking since Embiid uh, lost in the semifinal. I mean, he would have been the other mm-hmm. contender. He could have different challenge, but in that regard, the Raptors advancing was kind of good news for the Bucks because if you're given a Marcus Allen Embiid choice, that's kind of an easy one too. Yeah, just like not like Marcus Like obviously, he's a good player, good defender, um, but he's he's not Al Horford. He's not Joel Embiid. So it's if this is just a this is a simple way of looking at it but if you can get past al horford you can get past marcus all if you can yeah, figure no, that out I, I think that's fair and i mean look a big part of this is marcus all is 34 right i mean he's not yep. he's not the marcus all that he was four to five years ago um but there are there are also just stylistic differences i mean jordan mentions you know not having the same willingness to shoot mm-hmm. um as Lopez, I mean, again, probably a more apt comparison even here is he doesn't have the same willingness to shoot as Horford, likely. Yeah. And Horford is prepared to put the ball on the floor and drive to the rim, and he can actually do so with a kind of a little bit of a surprising burst of speed and athleticism, which Gasol just obviously doesn't have. So when he finds himself in those positions, if he doesn't want to shoot, he's looking to pass. And he may he's gonna look to pass more often than he's gonna actually look to shoot. Now, this may be something that we see him overly aggressive and kind of overcorrect in game one because it'll likely be a point of emphasis for the Raptors of you just need to shoot when when those looks come your way, you need to shoot. But as the series progresses, I wonder, I mean, just very briefly, um, so we can move on. What what kind of field either you have for what way the books will come out defensively for game one. Do you think they are going to go back to full kind of entire game, basically dropping as they did for most of the regular season? Are they going to switch? Are we going to start to see more of a hybrid and something a little bit more fluid than they ever really had need for in the regular season? I have a feeling that they're going to go back to uh, their drop coverage just because one 
uh, Budenholzer wants to stick to his plan. <laughs> and two, it's it makes it makes more sense to do it than against the Raptors than it would against the Celtics. Like you were saying earlier, with like um, Gasol's like timidness and shooting, it's it, there were points in that Sixer series where he's just wide open and he's just not he's not shooting the ball. He's not doing it. He's just kind of frozen on that island for like three seconds while he decides what to do and then he passes out of it. And so you're not going to get like pick and pop to death, especially when you don't have like a point guard that's like as shifty as Kyrie Irving, who would have the ball in his hands when you're dealing with your favorite player, Kyle Lowry. Um, so it would make more sense to go back to the drop coverage, though, with the way the Celtics series played out, I wouldn't be surprised if when it gets a little tighter, if they feel like they're getting overwhelmed a little they would sort of go back to like a hybrid switch scheme. Yeah, I kind of agree with Rowan on going back to kind of what they were doing throughout the regular season. I think the big question, and this might, we'll probably address this later, but if you go big, Gasol, Abaka, Kawhi, Danny Green, Kyle Lowry, you're going to probably play off a couple of those guys, not just Gasol. You might play off Abaka. We've all, like, not just, Boonholzer, but we saw with Jason Kidd when he was head coach, Bucks were like more than willing to see Serge Ibaka shoot every shot in that playoff series a couple years ago. You'll, you'll play so, off every player in the series that isn't Kawhi Leonard and Danny Green. Basically, Nick Nurse honestly, will take care of Danny Green. Because all those other guys don't want to shoot. Like Siakam maybe, but if it's not in the corners, you probably let him take a few and make a few before you overreact saw to that. that they're, the one loss that the Bucks had, it was it came down to Siakam hitting shots from spots that he doesn't normally hit. He's hmm. he was a fine shooter, but it wasn't like you know a, a shooting threat to the likes of Middleton, Danny Green, whatever. And especially in the latter part of the Sixers series, where he came back from his uh, injury, he was sort of shying away from shooting a little bit more, which yep. kind of plays into the Bucks' favor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this this will feed into into the first one I'm going to make on this, but I kind of want to see them mix things up. Um, I think they're right to, at least for game one, at least to start the series, go back to what they were doing with Brooke on the floor. If for no other reason than... Much like happened against the Celtics, it's probably not a bad idea to have your adjustment there to be your adjustment rather than kind of looking to pivot to a look that the Raptors have seen throughout the regular season. Um, so much like we said, going into the the first game of the last series and it didn't work out very well, but it was kind of like, you know, let's let's see this play out and let's see if the books can beat them playing as they are, if they can, well, then you don't need to change. Um, I would like to see them switch and switch really aggressively. Uh, not just switch. I I want to see them defend pretty aggressively whenever Lopez is off the floor. Um, and this will, this will feed into the first point I want to talk about, but it will actually feed into the two things I'll talk about across um, the course of the episode. First of all, what I want to discuss is... Kawhi and what the Bucks are going to do to defend Kawhi. It's kind of a weird thing because we've got so used to having to come at these kind of conversations from the opposite side of things, and um, which is, you know, the Bucks have the superstar and 
it's the opponent having to come up with a game plan to just try and figure it out and it becomes less about stopping that player and more about is there any way to slow them down and as much as the raptors are going to have to deal with that still with Giannis, the books are in a spot where they have to deal with that and in a very different way i don't think there was ever a feeling that they were going to have to do that for Kyrie. um I don't know how many players that were in the playoffs period that they may have felt like this about, but Kawhi is certainly one of them. Um, he is only further enforced that with a really phenomenal playoffs, um, possibly the best player in the playoffs so far. Um, his numbers are completely absurd. So the Bucks are in this spot where they've got to come up with, what are we going to do about Kawhi? Um, for those who don't know, Kawhi's postseason averages so far, so that's across 12 games, 31.8 points, 8.5 rebounds, 3.6 assists, 1.3 steals on 53.9% from the field, 408 from deep, and 86.8 from the free throw line. Um, like I'll discard what's likely one free throw that has not below 50-40-90, but 50-40-90 on you know, 32 points and 9 rebounds is just completely insane he's he's been on another level it's been fun to watch just as a fan of basketball yeah it may not be as fun to watch the next couple of weeks but you're right it has been and he's been showing something it's not like we didn't see it we've never seen it before we didn't know he could do but it, it certainly has been a level up it's it's the kind of thing that he was starting to look like he was doing before the zaza incident and that Cut that season short, and we didn't get to see him last season. It felt like this was the player Kawhi Leonard was trending towards, and then we've had to kind of wait two years for it to come to to fruition. Um, but part of why I led into this with talking about I'd like to see the books switch and to really it's it's difficult to talk about this because it almost brushes up against some uncomfortable defensive principles of old. Um I think the books should really look to pressure Kawhi when the when the ball's in his hands. What's a, what's another word for? Pressure? I'm not going to use the words that we used say to have it. to say all the time. Say it. <laughs> I think there's times in this series where it might be worth the books while to blitz Kawhi. Blitz? I I think I think there might be times, Jordan. I think he's looking for a T word. It's a trap. I. <laughs> I'm not using that one. I actually, I wrote an article about this earlier today and I said, do I really lean into that? Do I really go into the dark recesses of my mind and talk about the books trapping? Future um, Lakers coach. <laughs> we're not touching that again. You keep trying, but we're leaving that. That can be like in the summer when we've got nothing else to talk about. Um I think the one area of potential weakness in this game, and I'm not saying this as in, you know, it's it's cast iron, go and attack this and you're going to get great results. It's in the way that he's like really deficient. He's not. Um, he's just maybe a little bit less elite than he is in almost every other area of his game. And to me, it's his playmaking. So when I say his playmaking, I'm not talking about creating for himself. I'm talking about when he creates for others. Um, that can be when he's initiating the play and when he maybe just gets a little bit too comfortable. To me, his handle isn't as tight as most players who, particularly from forward positions, will take on the kind of ball 
handling and playmaking responsibilities that he does. On top of that, his vision just isn't at the level of a lot of those guys as well. So when you look to Kawhi, Kawhi can pass. He's a willing passer. I think your best case is let's test out that passing, though. And let's not allow him to be comfortable when he's you know dribbling the ball up the court. Don't let him settle into the kind of lulling you into a false sense of security that leads to the ISO possessions he wants. And for me, this is where I think we'll cool off on words that begin with B or T for a minute. And even if we just take it as switching, because what the book showed against the Celtics is they can switch and have Giannis play basically free safety. And Giannis isn't the only one where they are good enough. And when they're locked in and they seem to be, and seem to understand the principles of this well enough that they can help and recover quicker than maybe any other defense in the league. Yeah, I think here I'll go. I'll go a little in here. I think you were kind of, you're kind of hyping up. You you were saying that Kawhi's passing was at a level that it's not. I think it's kind of worse than you described. I, he can make some. He can make some pretty advanced passes. I think he's got better at passing to the corners. Yeah, but if it's let's, but if you're uh, doubling the ball handler, let's say, mm-hmm. uh, and he's trying to get his way to either one of the wings or to the rim, you're not making that pass to the corner. You're making that pass to the top of the key. Uh, you're making a pass, like an interior pass. So it's like those passes, he's struggled on, with them, especially against the Sixers, at least what I saw. There were a couple possessions where they did uh, sort of throw two guys at him. Uh, and he sort like, when he had to pass, they would lead to turnovers. They would either be off target, they would get deflected. No, that's that could be a testament to the Sixers' size, but the Bucks can also play that size and mm-hmm. even go better than that. So it'll have, it'll be really tough for him because he's not he's not a great passer. I mean, he's good, he's serviceable, but he's not at the level where you, if you're going to be consistently being the ball handler, you can't you can't have that passing level and think- expect to do well against. Uh, I'll say it against a trap. <laughs> Well, I think there's also let's let's give him the credit and let's say he proves that he's up to the task of pulling off the passes that he needs to. Even if he does that, the books are winning if he's passing to other Raptors and they have to beat them. Like no, no matter who else it is on that roster, um, like this is kind of a tricky one because I I don't believe Kawhi can beat the books on his own. So you, there is probably a school of thought where you could say, look, you allow him to do a lot of things and you make sure no one else gets to do anything close to above average. And the books cruise through this series and Kawhi has phenomenal individual numbers and finishes the series going, yeah, I'm out of here. I think, I think if, you, if you put more pressure on him, though, you're going to take away from him while also adding pressure to the other guys, because it's not just that they, they have to kind of come up with their own plays and be, I guess, relief for Kawhi in some ways. It's no, his possessions are actively having to be sent their way at times. And that makes for a very different dynamic than say what he was allowed to get into in game seven, where he took 39 shots. 
which look, he was inefficient. <laughs> it doesn't matter though. If if he's gonna be able to take 39 shots and you let him do that, he is one of the most efficient players in the league. Rancher was his averages for the postseason. Like he he is right at the top of the list of the last few guys you want to allow to take that many shots. This is not a choker. Um he is behind of players who played the first two rounds in the postseason. He's behind only James Harden and just ahead of Giannis in usage. And I thought that was kind of interesting as a trio because of hmm. obviously what Harden and Giannis do. And I think there are notable differences between what they can do with the ball. And when I took a little bit of a closer look into these numbers, I mean, it's it's not major, um, but his turnovers per game have gone up. Um, they're up, I mean, pretty significantly from two per game in the regular season to 3.1 per game in the playoffs. Um, and his turnover rate has gone up from 7.4% to 10%. 1.16 assist to turnover ratio too. Which is not pretty. His player is, um, assists have basically remained static. That's also worth noting. I mean, um, you could say, okay, he's been doing a whole lot more. His turnovers are going to go up. He's not doing a whole lot more assisting. Um, but what I found most interesting with that was I thought, I wonder how Yanis bears out if I was to put him under the same scrutiny. Um, Yanis has seen major drops in both categories. His turnovers per game are down in the playoffs, as is his turnover rate. So he's at 2.8 turnovers per game, down from 3.7, and 9.4% turnover rate, down from 12%. And I just feel like that's an interesting little snapshot for what both teams may look to do defensively to disrupt the star players on either side. And where there may just be a little glimmer of something the books can look to exploit, I think Kawhi is going to have a have the ball a ton. You, look, that's how it's going to be. That's their only chance of beating the books is going to center around that. But they need more. So I think you've got to turn the screw on his teammates, but you've also got to force him into spots where he's not necessarily comfortable. You don't want to let him have it his own way and get into the first 10 minutes of a game where it's kind of, okay, this is getting away from us already. So I don't know. Um, I'm open to your opinions that maybe I'm overselling that. Maybe I'm looking a little too closely for something. Kawhi is very close to a complete player. I mean, he's probably the best uh, defensive perimeter player in the NBA. Um, There's not a lot of holes in his offensive game anymore. This, to me, is one area, though, where it feels like the books can target him, and it also feels like they have the personnel. Uh, Middleton can do a pretty solid job on a one-on-one. He did that throughout the regular season. Add in, whether it's Giannis, whether it's even a smaller guy, someone like Bledsoe, someone being able to kind of help off of their man and really go out and just you know, add an extra bit of pressure. Add the pressure to Kawhi, and then give the ball to players who don't want to shoot and still be in a position where you can contest it. The books are able to do that. If they can, I think it could make for an interesting look. Yeah, it's what you're saying. I completely agree with. It's just, you're targeting the dichotomy of the Raptors offense, which is like, you're like, Kawhi is great isolation player. The rest of the team likes to play more free falling offense by targeting his um, playmaking ability. You're sort of, uh, getting a hold on the entire Raptors offense because you're uh, sort of taking that transition away. If you keep that transition, 
you can get into two good things that the Raptors do on offense. Like those two styles, like the Raptors are good at both. But if you can separate them and sort of shut them, you won't shut them down, but if you can separate them, that creates a problem. It's really about slowing down more than like, and that is, it's what we always use for Giannis. You can't stop him. You could maybe Mm -hmm. slow him down. I think the same applies in reverse here. It's whether the books can just find something that just kind of slightly slows down the momentum that Kawhi can otherwise generate. Completely agree. Okay, Jordan. What's your next one? Eric Bledsoe, Kyle Lowry, Collision Course. In more ways than one. <laughs> yeah, very. I don't, I think it's I I wrote on this uh, Monday night and it came on Tuesday. Um, there's a lot of words there, a lot of words that poured all over every single word. Anyway, um, but if you really look at what they offer to their teams, it's very similar. I don't think people would kind of. I don't know. I I don't think I never really thought of Kyle Lowry as a or kind of thought them as comparables before, if that makes sense. Um, obviously, both have their own playoff struggles. Lowry's is certainly more well-documented and more historic than Bledsoe's at this point, or I guess story. I don't know, whatever you want to call it. Um, but more of a fixture. But I think the the difference to me is that when it's it's kind of like do you trust the floor that Lowry brings to the Raptors in the postseason, or do you believe that you know over the course of a series you're going to see more of Bledsoe uh, hitting the peak of his powers or hitting his ceiling uh, against the Raptors? Um, and what what contributes more to either team winning the series? And I think that's kind of an interesting. Out of all the matchups, I mean, there's obviously a lot of interesting matchups in this series. I mean. Yeah, two best teams, two the uh, two best records in the NBA, um, and they're very evenly matched. I think, I think for me, it's it just comes down to which one just shows up better, more consistently over the course of a, uh, of what could be a seven game series at most, obviously. But I just think you're saying it's not going eight games. I'm I, I got some news to break. This series is not going eight. It's not going nine. It's not doing what Dwayne Wade and LeBron James counted down in South Beach <laughs> nearly a decade ago. Um, wow, that I was think... almost a decade ago. <laughs> but uh, I don't know. And obviously, I mean, I was giddy when I saw the stat that Kyle Lowry failed to score a single point in the 122 possessions. Yeah, let's, let's clear out him. here. Let's not just like put that in as an aside. Um. <laughs> He didn't Zero. score a single point this season when guarded primarily by Eric Bledsoe. Over for eleven from from the field. Those numbers could be noisy, right? Which is always yes. worth pointing out. But the noise couldn't even attribute, you know, two points that he might have scored in someone else that Bledsoe was in the vicinity. Which that's also, you know, not great. So it's a hundred and twenty-two possessions yeah. as well. It's not. It's I want to say zero points. I want to say here, I'm going to make sure that was, he was like, there was no, if, if there was someone else, there wasn't anybody uh, that faced up more than him throughout the season. It was maybe like one or two. So like, this is, that's a good sample size right there. And I, I think it was over 11 from the field over nine from three, six turnovers, not even again, not even a free throw. Yeah. Okay. D'Angelo Russell was the other one 
that had more possessions on Lowry over the course of the season. And that a lot of that basically comes down to the fact that Lowry missed one game in the four game season series. So whatever, you know, Lowry's offense is already kind of erratic in the postseason, but you got a guy like Bledsoe who brings a lot of the same defensive qualities that Lowry has just with a little more athleticism, a little more kind of, uh, I would say assertiveness. Um, and kind of, I think that's just, I don't know. That just seems that it obviously seems like a recipe for disaster when you're already kind of, uh, off balance with your regular season rhythm to begin with. Yeah. And especially Bledsoe is not going to like one area where Kyle Lowry excels, like, I guess flipping the script a little, one area that Lowry excels defensively is in the post and Bledsoe is just going to, it's, he's not going to post up Kyle Lowry. He's that's, it's, it's more of like he's going to get around him with his quickness because Kyle Lowry, I don't know, like this, especially this postseason, he's, he looks like he's built like an absolute unit, especially in that, yeah, <laughs> that area. It's being a little bit kind. <laughs> I'm not, I'm no, I'm not looking. I, I do. I think it's just, he doesn't, he's not, look, the guy's getting older. I mean, this is, I think this is important. Anytime we talk about Kyle Lowry, anytime I talk about Kyle Lowry and I'm, about as critical of Kyle Lowry as anyone. Um, the most, I'm prepared to say. Yeah, okay. Um, he's out 33 years of age, and he's a point guard. Not he's, necessarily he's played... the kind of guys who age the best way. He has had, not recently really, but early in his career he had injury problems. Um, he's close to 900 regular season games now, I'm pretty sure. Like, a lot of miles on the clock. Let me see total minutes. 26,781 minutes. And that's just regular season. Yeah. Like, I mean, I, th- think of think of the last four playoff rounds. Or four playoff. Or yeah, four, four, four playoff in, it's, runs. It's two and a half, two and a half thousand playoff minutes. So he's, he's over 29,000 career minutes at this stage. Like... The, yeah, the guy's body doesn't look like it used to. I think that's that's fair, and I don't think it's necessarily like a big deal. Um, I, he doesn't play like he used to. I, I think it's as simple as that. Like mm-hmm. there is a lot of Kyle Lowry uh, defending that goes on, and look, we're gonna we're gonna get up close and personal. We're gonna hear a lot of it. I would wager in this series, regardless of what way it goes. Honestly. I mean, I feel like the Raptors could win in five and there will still be just cause for people to have to defend Kyle Lowry having what are effectively no-shows. Um, he had a he had a good game seven in terms of making winning plays. And this is what you will see. And you can't, you can't debate that he's a really smart player and he will put his body on the line and he'll do a lot of things that will help you to win. I do have just one counter to that. You know what would really help the Raptors to win? If he scored like 10 points, maybe 15 points sometimes, that would that would be more winning than uh, I'm going to take some Ursan and Isovesk charges. Because that's great when Ursan does it. Even Ursan's contract, though, maybe just a little pricey for that to be what you do. And then you've got Kyle Lowry. I mean... This is where I got it from. It can't just be, oh, you know, look at him. He was a plus two and a loss. He took two charges. Uh, he had six assists to no turnovers. Kyle is great. Winning plays. 
Yeah, also thirty-one point two million dollars. Like, you gotta get it's that much. It is that much. They, they shouldn't have done it. It was a three-year, ninety million deal. I they need more from him. They need more from him. And if I was a, I mean, if I was a Raptors fan, I I clearly have lost my mind at this point over Kyle Lowry. But I I think they've got to basically expect and demand more. And he's obviously a really long-serving player. He's there six years at least now. Um, seven seasons. This is he's had seven full seasons there. Um, obviously one of the great heydays of the Raptors franchise history. Pretty well, we're talking about one of the great, the greatest spell of Raptors franchise history. I understand the goodwill, I understand the good feeling. The guy's a 33 year old point guard who's falling off a cliff, and, and he's done. You know, they need they need a lot more. I mean, this matchup is fascinating because it's like whose fear of the playoffs is actually less crippling than the other guys, you know? <laughs> Here's the thing. Who Bledsoe only had Bledsoe, Bledsoe and Kyle go together. Bledsoe only had the one force. opponent. Yeah. Kyle I mean, Lowry, it's just the playoffs. It's it's uh, I don't know. I'm Hopeful that that's the case. I really we're back to we did this after game one and uh, prior to any we did this actually every episode throughout the playoffs where I say I hope it's the case. I hope Bledsoe is you know. I think we even did it during regular season. <laughs> we did multiple times, but we've done it every episode in the postseason. We have to check in too. for better or worse and be like, I hope you're right. I hope we're gonna get a good series, and it's just like. Weird Celtic stuff. He was good against the Pistons. He was, you know what? He was Rowan, you would have been good against the Pistons. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> but if you if you really boil it down to it, like if you're looking, we could talk about his offensive play, but if you look at what he's doing defensively, like the guy has a 92.9 defensive rating for the playoffs. Just looking he's, at matchup data, as a primary defender, he's allowed 37 points against the Raptors. He's he's locked That's in across four and, games. Yeah. And this is not a question designed to just be me being me, but is that more in the Raptors context, is that more about Eric Bledsoe or Kyle Lowry? <sighs> but that's I think that's what's so interesting is that you can you don't know say what the same is. you could say the same thing about Eric Bledsoe and say, is that speak more to the Celtics or does that speak more to Eric Bledsoe? You can, but that that one doesn't make sense because, like, particularly when, oh yeah, I mean, it just doesn't make sense. At, at least Bledsoe is like possibly a first team all defensive guard. So Kyle Lowry struggling offensively. If we were to pretend pretend that doesn't happen, you know, twenty four seven three sixty five would be it's like the same thing. It's like the same thing with like Red Panda drops a, a bowl and everybody's like, oh my god, she's losing. It's like, no, this has been for the last three years. That guys. is a you brilliant analogy. This. That's Kyle Lowry is Red Panda. <laughs> <laughs> it's, oh. He's late, late period late Red Panda, where it's just kind of... But people are still entertained by Red Panda. So are Raptors fans by Kyle Lowry. <laughs> Anyone else got something? That might be the most slanderous thing we've we said in history. <laughs> in what way? I think it's true. I I Red Panda was once an all-star. Um not sure. 
People still go to games and they're like, oh man, Red Pandas. I don't think that happens anymore because I I see uh, this is not something that either you may be accustomed to, but with International League Pass, I see basically every halftime show of every game I watch throughout the year. A cape for Simon says. Uh, We're not even going down that road. (laughs) Um, I see a lot of Red Panda across the course of a year, and I have for many years now. We're you should probably... start tracking. You should start tracking. That maybe next. Bolt. No, I'm I'm leaving that one alone. Bring back the. Counter. I'm not. I'm not committing to any counter uh, <laughs> gimmicks that we've fallen foul to before. But the difference between Red Panda even three years ago to now, it's pretty stark. You watch if you watch Red Panda like probably 15, 20 times a year, like I end up seeing her. It's a lot of broken bowls. There's mm-hmm. people who could, you know, do with those bowls. They could put those bowls to better use. That's all I'm going to say. And there's a bit of, you know, bit of a the parallel real thing, to be drawn yeah. here with Kyle. Father Eric. time comes for us all. The real thing that you needs were... to be tracked is how many times does the home team win when Red Panda's performing versus Bismarcky. I have a horrible feeling that Biz is not going to be back at the conference finals. <laughs> I don't know why. I don't know who's responsible for these things, but I'd like to have a very stern word with them. Um, I'm also let's. I've I've already made reference to this. I'm also ready for Kyle Lowry to have the season or the series of a lifetime. Torch the books. Go on. The Raptors win a championship and he's Finals MVP. Just because I've I've set it up to be so. I've talked about it for so long, but I can't. I can't pretend. I can't put it any other way. I mean, again, the guy is 33 years old. And I mean, you're looking for him to be the second best team on like a, a serious, quote unquote, uh, conference finals team. I mean, that's asking a lot. Um, and that's why he's, they've had a chance to be that because of the jumps Siakam's taken. But then you see him take a little bit of a knock and the after effects of that injury. And also just not having a bench. Kind of hurts. It's it's, it's again it not great when thirty-four-year-old Marcus Gasol, thirty-three-year-old Kyle Lowry. Uh, I'm not even going to get into Sergi Baca's age. Like the Raptors have a lot of things going against them when you're a team that's going to rely on an ultra ultra tight rotation because you have no other option. You know what? I'm going to go to my next point now because it would be too... It's too seamless not to, so... Have you done both ears, Jordan? Mm-hmm. Okay, so, Rowan, you just hang on there. Okay. Because the next thing I want to talk about is depth. Um, and... The third dimension. <laughs> there's, there's a couple of reasons. First of all, those who've been listening to Winning Six for a while, certainly throughout the playoffs, um, will know I'm obsessed with depth. I'm obsessed with seeing Ursan and Yasova get out there. <laughs> uh, George Hill do his thing. Pat Connaughton, which can we pause this for a moment to talk about future Irish international Pat Connaughton? This has been a big week for me. Um, not an illustrious list, I, I don't like the suggestion that he might go and play baseball for the Irish national team. I don't think that exists. We don't play baseball here. Cricket? So, Curling? Ooh, like, ooh. 
Oh, well, that's a very different thing. And that is something the books should certainly not allow him yeah. to do is to go and play hurling. That would be a great way for him to break most of the bones in his body. Um, but anyway, Irish international Pat Connaughton, which is, that is how I'm going to refer to him from now until eternity. Basically all of these guys, as Pat has christened them, the bench mob. Um, conventional playoff logic, which is really just, empty things that people have said for long enough that everyone takes them to be fact. It's kind of like, yo, things slow down in the playoffs. It's one of these, and it's always, you know, depth isn't quite as important because your rotation is going to be shorter. How about if it just isn't, though? <laughs> How about if your team is good enough that you just don't have to shorten it and you actually used your advantage that, ah, yeah, while you're all having to play 44, 45, 46 minutes, We've got eight or nine guys capable of giving us quality minutes, so we can hurt you in those spells. Now thinking about it, and we've had a little bit of distance, and we haven't had to really kind of talk about it. It's just, it is absurd, the game ceiling runs that were secured by basically close to all bench books lineups. What's that? That was game five, right? That was the closeout. Yes. Um, where it was Brooke along with Sterling, Ursan, George Hill, and Pat, right? Are you talking about mm. Game 4? Well, it might have been Game 4. I think it was... Game I 4. It was in Boston. It was Game 4. Yeah. yeah. Um, That third quarter closeout, where they were going up against, you know, basically the best of the Celtics. Giannis and foul trouble, Chris and foul trouble. And they just completely blew them out of it. Like, just turn, not just the game, the series on its head at that point. And then, of course, Game 5 comes along, Brogdon comes back. He's going to play more minutes. He wasn't exactly playing the most modest of minutes. Did he finish at 17, 18 in Game 5? Um, possibly even a little bit more. He's likely to be into the mid-20s, I would guess starting off this series and with that even if Miritich is starting which Bud has confirmed he will start for game one um basically the embarrassment of riches just continues to grow because the options are absurd and the different things you can do with them are really really ridiculous i think in this series they're gonna have to be more careful because the raptors have even less to turn to Kawhi Leonard is going to play crazy, crazy minutes totals. I still think it's vital that Bud trusts in the bench continues to use that depth, though. And particularly with some of the stuff we just talked about, with Marcus Gasol being 34 and Larry being 33 and Ibaka on the wrong side of 30, all of this, this just generally an older team. And even with Kawhi and his health issues, um, if they're all going to play a lot of minutes, your guys who are fresh on the bench are good enough to actually go out and give you pretty meaningful contributions. You may have to stagger it a lot more carefully than you did against the Celtics, but I still believe there's a real place for the books to use their depth in this series and for it to be the key difference maker. Um, I feel like you've both probably seen this. Um, but you may have already forgotten about it. 
do you want to take any guesses at the kind of disparity we're talking about between the benches here? Um, I'll even let's let's do per one hundred possessions in the postseason per one hundred possessions. Any guesses for what the Sixers are and what the books are? What kind of differential? Because the Sixers play, or not the Sixers, the Raptors. Um, the Raptors, the Raptors play slower, so you know they should be coming in with less. They are playing less guys. All of these factors adjusting per one hundred possessions should kind of balance that out, and it does somewhat. But you're still talking about a significant difference. Oh, Jordan, you can take first crack in. Jordan's not good at guessing. Hey. <laughs> Well, um, uh, you might be good. You rarely actually do the guessing part. I'll go for points, correct? Points? Or are we doing assists? Go points. <laughs> no, well, I, I have all... I have points, rebounds, and assists in front here. Um, I'll do so, points. So, Bucks and Raptors. I'll go 15 for Raptors. 28 if, sorry, for Bucks. 15? Wait, what, what, what are we doing? What are we doing? Four one hundred possessions. Oh, sorry. Uh, I don't. I don't know. I'm good. I'm bad at guessing. <laughs> yeah, it's maybe based on that guess. Might be best for Jordan to sit the guessing game out. I was. I don't know. The Raptors, as one of the worst benches in the postseason, um, thirty six point eight points per one hundred possessions 30. for bench players. Okay, I'll say the Bucks are at like. It's not as I don't. I think you're gonna go high here. It's not as absurd. Fifty-six. That's going high. <laughs> um, but it's forty-five point four. So this is again. This is when you balance it out per one hundred possessions. Do you want the straight numbers? Well, yeah, I make it. Give me those totals. Totals are per game. You can choose, Ron. Let's go total uh, per game because they've been game to okay. number disparities. So per game in the series, books have thirty seven point four points per game from their bench. The Raptors twenty one point six, which is just just ahead of the Houston Rockets, who are in last place. Um, so really, so like no boy, no <laughs> nothing there. Um, if we flip back to per 100, it's so they have the Bucks per 100 have almost a nine point advantage over the Raptors in points for the bench. They have a five rebound advantage per 100 possessions over the Raptors bench. They have a two assist advantage per 100. And while the Bucks bench shoots 48.1% from the field and 36% from deep, the Raptors shoot 38.9 from the field, 25.8 from three. Um, like, look, their bench has shrunk and shrunk and shrunk, and as we've already alluded to, it is now a seven-man rotation. There's not a lot there. For me, you've just got to find ways, or you've got to at least try to make this count. You've got to... You can always pair back. If they are just kind of going with their starters for close to uh, close to the entirety of the game, if you're looking at 42-plus for kind of all five Raptors starters, or Something in that region with just Ibaka like this, like they can't they can't go less than seven. They've got to play Van Vliet still, right? They're not just gonna go just to serve. They need a backup point guard. Yeah, they, they have no other options. Larry can't play that. So yeah, they've got a. Well, 
No, you see, I'm th- <laughs> I'm thinking about that. You could have Larry sit and go big, as we mentioned earlier, and have Kawhi initiate. But then you don't have like a a true playmaker. I mean, Fred Van Vliet. I t- it's better at least than Norman Powell. Is it better than Kawhi? Well, if you need some rest. Yeah. Well, he, Kawhi's gonna have to take his turn another time. I mean, uh, these are some of the these are some of the decisions that Nick Nurse may actually have to consider as the series goes on, which I think again highlights the point. So for me, I, I think it's key that the books don't just instinctively go. We're in the conference finals now. Let's tighten the rotation. Tighten the rotation. Um, you are likely gonna have to up minutes for key players. Um, you can't keep going with. Uh, is it still true that Giannis is averaging less minutes per game in the postseason than the regular season? No way. I think so. I think so. Um, <laughs> I don't think that's true. That was the uh, case until deep wait. in the Celtics series. Okay. Yeah, um, that's true. <laughs> like, I, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that's not sustainable and you're going to have to play him a little bit more. But <clears throat> fine, how about 35 minutes a game? Are both of you with me that this is something the book should continue to do? The, I mean, the bench. Look, we're not. We don't need to talk specifically because we've done it before. But whether it's Hill, Connaughton, Ilyasova, um, and now Brogdon's a part of that, or Miritich, whatever way we want to spin that across the course of the series, like Sterling, maybe this could be a series for Sterling. Yeah. Sterling may have to take some minutes in. Particularly if you wanted to target Kawhi in some of the ways we mentioned earlier, I think he could be useful if you're going to switch. But I'm still leaning on those guys. Do do all do both of you agree with that? Do you think it's something they should be looking to do, or is this just would you fall into what seems to be just conventional wisdom here, which is oh, you've got further in the playoffs, you've got to tighten things up. To me, there's no reason the the bench are proving themselves. Yeah, no, for sure, you have to. Like they've proven that they can play and that they can be valuable, like super valuable, as we've discussed throughout both series that the Bucks have played so far. It's like the conventional wisdom that you've been talking about with the playoffs. Like I touched on this when I was writing about the Celtics versus the Bucks bench. It's uh, like they most teams don't have players that you can trust in a playoff series that you can have a nine man rotation. <laughs> The Bucks, as like you said, they just have an embarrassment of riches. It's, it's uh, making the making this comparison again. It's 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 fourteen fifteen Warriors esque, where they just have depth that they can rely on off the bench, and uh, yeah, I'm just thinking they could possibly go with a ten man rotation in the conference. I mean, finals. there's a really strong case to be made for it i i think that that's the thing here it's when you look at it it's like okay we're and they could go with a 10-man rotation that leaves out either tony sneller sterling brown who are like perfectly playable players you know that uh, any of these other teams (laughs) would kill to have tony snell for example to be able to give them 10 minutes off the bench yeah this is Raptors, look at Raptors and the Sixers. Like, if you watch that series, and what we all did, we were all waiting to see who's going to play the books. And in game seven, the most telling thing is they just have no depth, either of these teams. And then you watch some of the other games, um, particularly with the Nuggets having gone out now as well. They're, you know, depth is not something that there are a lot of teams blessed with left in the playoffs. 
that none really the blazers might have had the best depth behind the books and now that's being eaten into by injuries so i think it's a pretty notable advantage the books have over their competition and it starts in this series and yeah i'd be looking to really kind of press home the advantage with that and on top of that i mean george hill might still be your second or third best player in this series um he's been on a tear so let's just let's also has go with that history, until he proves otherwise has past history of of birding the raptors when he was with the pacers he's not okay. alone on that isn't urson kind of a sneaky i've i've there was i can't remember who i should have checked this up someone did an article on one of the raptors blogs about a year ago about raptors killers urson made the list made it <laughs> i mean there's you mentioned hill i i wrote about this in writing about Kawhi as well there's kind of an interesting thing with this series obviously this is as people have joked what you know george hill and Kawhi's careers have been building to the moment where george hill gets to go up against the man he was traded for um in a conference finals but there's also like even with Kawhi, obviously you've got the bud relationship or bud was his coach and you can you you bet Bud is working the phones to San Antonio and Pop and the coaching staff are just spilling the beans on Kawhi right now. Um, outside of that, you've got the Tony Snell Kawhi high school teammates <laughs> thing. Pedo was a teammate of Kawhi's. There's kind of brother. like who did you say? His brother. Uh, yeah, I wasn't even considering that part. I, I was actually, <laughs> I was just talking about purely Kawhi there. Um, but yeah, there are kind of interesting things that him and Giannis were both fifteenth picks. That's true. That's true. Well, I just to put a bow on the depth thing. I think you you talk about like conventional wisdom with it, and as we've seen th- with the Bucks throughout the year, this is not a conventional team. And when you have it, like it's it's that cliche phrase, like you never know when you have it, but when you have it, you hold on to it. Like that's there isn't a team left standing that has the depth of the Bucks at this point, both conferences. It's not even close. I, I would have to disagree with you on that one. I'd say they are a I mean, uh, not disagree. They they're not a conventional team, I, but they yeah. are the they they are the ideal they're the perfect yes, blend yes. of system and talent. They have the upper level talent that lets you uh, do well in the playoffs where it's individual talent sort of uh, shows like breeds team success. And when there's depth and bench players, that's where the system takes over. And like, especially when we saw in that uh, game four, did we say it was mm-hmm. against mm-hmm. the Celtics? Where they were just completely locked in defensively and offensively, you were, there was just no stopping them, and that's because of the system. So it's they're 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 a perfect team. I, I think I think the thing that I, I have given some I just hype myself. I just hype myself up. Also, <laughs> <laughs> I could hear that in real time. I could hear just it just creeping into your voice that you're just getting kind of excited about that. Um, the thing that I've given some thought to, but I don't dare to think about, and it's not something I really want us to dive into talking about because there's a lot of work to do first. But if the books were to go on and win it all, what kind of team they go down as is interesting to me. Um, not in the long run, because that could be a different thing, but 
you know, at the end of this season, how would the books be framed? And when I think of what they are now, even just as contenders, it still leans closer to... It leans closer to the Mavs and Pistons it's, than it's other teams in like recent that. years. It's yeah, like I don't really... I don't, I don't think... I, you know what I think Pistons. the comparison actually is, though? It's the Spurs. It's the Spurs. It's having a truly transcend, transcendent talent at the center of everything you do, but also having this team philosophy and being able to get value out of guys all the way down your roster. I mean, look, it's maybe there's no coincidence that obviously Bud is the head coach and you're having that scenario. But I, I don't know if that would be how they're viewed. Possibly over time it could be how they're viewed, although obviously the Spurs comes with a whole different level of organizational excellence and consistency. But that's the one to me where I think, where do you bridge the gap? Because Giannis is better than Dirk was on that Mavs team. And I don't mean that with any disrespect. Mm. I think he is, Jordan. I think I he is. Uh, Dirk was really good that year. He sure was. Especially I mean, in the playoffs. Well, and what is Giannis? I'm not saying. I'm not don't saying. Don't forget what Giannis is. I just. I don't know. <laughs> You're talking about Giannis is right in discussion for most impactful player. Like, on both ends of the floor, like, if we took them separately, you could make the argument for him being most impactful. I'm not talking about combine the two and just talk about, you know, as a two-way guy, which rules some out. If you're having the two conversations in a vacuum, he's going to find himself near the top on both. It's not something Dirk had. It's not something you could point to anyone on that Pistons team. It, it you is. Sound very... like a, you sound like a real jerk, Nowitzki, right now, man. I, I love Dirk. I love... <laughs> I I've got. Um, you know who was a real jerk to whiskey? Adam Silver at the All Star break. Did you hear? Do you remember? I know this, this is, is actually. I, you've just made me think of something. Sorry, but uh, just one. I have to prove my dark credentials here and defend <laughs> myself. I've got. Um, <laughs> I've got three great Ryan Simpson prints up on my wall. Um, one is Giannis. One is Dirk. And the other, fittingly for this conversation, is Tim Duncan. Smith. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, this is a little Tim Duncan esque right now. That's silent, silent leader. I don't know. Tim Duncan wouldn't say what Giannis said about the Celtics. I'm not. I'm not talking about <laughs> that part. I'm talking about <laughs> offense and defense. Um, do we want to just before we go into Rowan's point and our our last point on this before we get to kind of wrapping up and making predictions? Do we want to just give a moment to discussing what Giannis has been saying? Yeah, but wait, what was Jordan about to say about Adam Silver? Oh, okay. I stepped on something. Come on, Jordan. Well, he said something about, like, he's literally... (laughs) It pains him to see him running up and down the court when he's, like, struggling to get up and down. That was weird. Yeah, that was really... That was before Dirk said he was retired. Adam Silver, <laughs> the commissioner of the league, it's was literally clearly retired. someone in pain. Like, oh my god! <laughs> I don't even remember this. I feel like it was at some kind of one of his. It was, ab- at, his, it was at his like state of the league address. His final, his end of year one, right? Maybe it was at All Star. He because he has like he has like four of them a year. One early in the year, he has one of the the global games. 
won it all sorry man of the year here we go here we go so he's he's explaining the decision to have Dwayne Wade and Dirk Nowitzki be he basically honorary. forced Dirk into retirement. <laughs> yeah. So he goes in the case of Dwayne Wade, he had already announced this is going to be his last season. In the case of Dirk Nowitzki, I had seen him painfully running up and down the court, which made it clear this would be his last season. <laughs> that is. That, I we're about to talk about Giannis. That is amazing. so much worse than what Giannis said, where you feel like Giannis is kind of accidentally just you know hence. Adam Silver, jerk noise. Accidentally. I, I think it's... Nah, nah, Giannis, Giannis is some nasty in him. No, I don't think so. I, I'm not disagreeing that he has some nasty in him, but when he says these things and the way they come out, and it's become a thing now multiple times, it's kind of getting to a point where it's making me just the tiniest bit uncomfortable. Because, say if it's something like the the classic Marcus Smart clip, which again was hilarious. But there's there's kind of a cultural difference. I think there's also an, a non-kind of native English speaker in mm-hmm. in some of his answers where I don't think he's... He's not going out of his way to be disincendiary going into a new series. But I'll read the quote and then we can talk about just how incendiary it actually turns out Wait, to be. Before, before you do that, I want to make sure you guys remember the DeMar DeRozan comments. After of course! But that's <laughs> that's likewise. Zone, yeah. The oh, DeMar yeah. DeRozan thing had no intent <laughs> like it came out. I mean, I think that's the classic example. And it shuts. <laughs> it wasn't It wasn't meant to be as withering as it was. He thought he was just plainly pointing something out it wasn't the it wasn't the, how he said it. it it wasn't what he said it was the way he looked what he but said he, it, he, he speaks Ugh. his mind it's like and not in a i'm going to speak my mind way he's just quite plain spoken in in a way which is it i'm trying to think is this an american thing i don't think it is i i think it's kind of a thing with maybe it's just something when you translate someone who's a non-native English speaker's thoughts into English, it'll come out in a more direct way. But I think whether it's Americans, whether it's British people, whether it's Irish people, there's a tendency to uh, to just find nice ways to say things. To be a little bit... I don't know. I'm struggling for words here, but do you... Do you both kind of get no, what I, I'm I saying? No, I get what you're saying. And yeah. where I think from another language, you could be like, okay, so what I want to say is this. So I'll say it with these words. And we're like, oh my God, did he just, did he just say it like that? Because it's just... Adam it's... Silver has no trouble with this. So <laughs> it's so uh, that's true it's so literal and direct that it's kind of like, whoa, I think that's kind of what happens with Giannis. And I I didn't like the Marcus Smart thing becoming an eight-second clip, and yeah, not that, was, well, that was that was much different because it's he clearly had more to say. He said, yes. but he it's said he hard. said a lot, and he said, yeah. he said the yeah. right thing. So that kind of fuels like the perception people have of when the next was... quote comes, because like there, these quotes are going to keep coming because again, this is just it's how he says things. Um, I I don't know. I I, I don't I found don't that moment that hilarious, but I wasn't kind of entirely comfortable with the way that started to circulate for people who clearly hadn't watched it. Like I watched live, and I messaged you at the time, Jordan. And I was like, "Wait till you see the Marcus Smart thing." 
I don't but, I don't view it in that sense of like difference between you know English is their first language or they had to learn it or something like that. I view that as <laughs> the guy didn't include it was a funny moment, but you if you cut out that way, it gets it's obviously can be taken. Yeah, you're right, you're right. That is totally a different way. conversation. That is just a question that is inherently awkward. I mean, yeah. when if you're asked that question, what are you supposed to say? And even the most polished of players is likely going to have a moment. And he literally had the moment. He's like, okay, what can I say nice? And he looked at the box score and then was like, oh, what can I say nice? And looked at Chris and Chris was like, I'm not here to help you. But anyway, prior to game one against the Raptors, um, Giannis, what he's been saying and what people have been enjoying Giannis saying is against Boston, you can go down. 1-0, and still be fine. But against Toronto, it's hard to be in that spot when you lose the first game in your home. I'm interested to hear both of your thoughts on this, because I'll be honest, I'm interested in this quote for what I think is a different reason to what everyone else has been interested in it for. Maybe I've just I'm teasing that too much, and I should finish that thought and then pass it over to you. I'm I'm interested in the implied we have to win game one here, particularly when there was so much discussion about him not guaranteeing a winning game two last time. Um, he also said they wouldn't change anything; they changed everything. I know, I know that. I'm not <laughs> saying to take that at, but there are certain quotes that. That's not the same as delivering a statement about what an outcome of a game is going to be that you're then going to be asked to. No one's going to be like, you said you weren't going to change anything, but then you did. Um, In this case, though, like for as much as people might be laughing at the Boston element of the quote now, if they do lose game one, it will be put to them that you said, you know, this was not the series you could afford to lose game one. You've lost game one. What happens now? Now, I'm not saying that he doesn't have an answer to that. It's just like, look, we just got to win game two and go from there. But it is something that's a little bit more definitive. Now, maybe that speaks to the mindset and goes back to the very first topic we talked about, which was game one. And this book's team's locked in kind of readiness to get the show on the road and to really make a statement from the off. But I am interested in the kind of gutsy statement that is hidden beneath the Celtics being a punchline here. I actually went, I actually took it a different way. I actually took it as a shot at the Raptors game one struggles. Mm. I didn't think about that. Because mm. it's like, oh man, the Raptors, they know what it's like to be down 0-1 at home. I feel like we're we're on the verge of like really deconstructing Yanis jokes now. And thinking, I just thought like, it was is funny. he is he <laughs> is Yanis writing these jokes basically on like three different tracks where you can you can take whatever meaning you want from them. Uh, that is interesting. Is that a thing for the Raptors when they're not at home though? They just struggle in game one regardless. Yeah. I kind of no, I don't know. I what happened? Well, I guess in recent years when they haven't been at home for game one, they've been playing the Cavs. So. Wasn't the Sixers won the first game one at home that they've won? Right, but at point. home is the key thing in this. Like part of that has always been they fight all year for home. Court, yeah, no, and, and then it's they like lay an egg. No, 
And no, and now the Bucks are home, so they don't want to be in that situation. Yeah. Yeah, I could see I didn't see that part of it before, but I can see it now. I mean, look, the one part that is there is there and you know it, no matter if it didn't come out as he intended, like he is saying something about the Celtics. Like, oh yeah. The, there is no he's just disrespecting the entire he's, he may not he may not intend for it to be as disrespectful as it is, but he is it, it, he is it, saying it something that he believes to be true. You're right, it happened. Um so it's not like it's a secret. The books could afford to go down one game to the Celtics and roll off the next four. Um, do you think it would be? Hmm. Do you think it will be all that different if it happened this time? I don't think it will happen. But do you even agree with the core kind of piece of the statement? <laughs> after what we've seen from this books team I mean I, I do think it would be worse than losing the opening game to the Celtics but there's not a lot I'd put past this books team at this point yeah I just feel with the with the Celtics it was more it was more adjustment based well, these two are just like the Raptors are and the Bucks are more evenly matched, so home court advantage would be. It'd be tough to come back from that. I don't know. It's, at least that's what he might be saying. Well, maybe. I mean, for the reasons it's we like, alluded to with Game One, I mean, it will be no different when the Raptors eventually do get to whatever the building's called now. I, I the. Nova Scotia, like, I didn't realize on. it was that until it's like Air Canada it was just it was literally the most perfect sponsor arena arrangement in the entire NBA. How it was that? perfect. Air and Canada center spelled R E the way the way, the way it's supposed it? to be. Yeah, well, that's the way it's supposed to be. You've no idea how. I mean, that was also a big reason why I liked it. Um, Central. It's not often that I get to, you know, spell words the right way when I'm writing. But uh, anyway, we won't go down that road. Rowan, what is the last topic you're going to talk about? Last topic we're going to talk about. Well, it's only fitting. I started I started the pod with my first topic saying that. It's only fitting that we talk about Giannis. And especially like, when we were talking about Kawhi earlier, it's just like you have to find a way to slow him down. And how are the Bucks supposed to do that? How are the Raptors supposed to slow down the MVP? And especially with his uh, the primary defender that was on Giannis, I think like across the three games that he played, ninety three possessions, he was guarded by Pascal Siakam. And Siakam, as we said earlier. He's coming back from an injury and he's not looking as not looking quite right. He's still like serviceable. He's still a good player, but he's not quite at his like the level that he's shown this season to be. So with Kawhi already having one a size disadvantage against Giannis, and he he has someone to guard in his own right in Chris Middleton, uh, Pascal Siakam's gonna have one tough job, especially because Giannis is done pretty well against the probable most improved player. Jordan, what way do you see this by now? 
Well, Giannis is obviously going to get his. Um, I, I think I talked about this on Lockdown Raptors. Sorry. <laughs> but I, I think... apologize. People should go and listen to it. Thank you. I'll anyway. listen to it, and next time out, I'll be even more harsh on you know how friendly you likely were. But anyway. But I think what we talked about with the Celtics heading or heading into the Celtics series is that Al Horford, or, or we mentioned it before too, Al Horford or uh, Joel Embiid is kind of the prototypical, you know, defenders of Giannis. They both have size, they have athleticism, they obviously have physicality, all that stuff. For the Raptors, I mean, they have they have options to go to, but they don't have a true, you know, kind of one stopper for Giannis. And to be honest, we saw what happens when you kind of stick to that plan. Giannis is going to figure it out. It, sure, it took him maybe game and a half, two games. We'll give him the first two games of that series. But then it, once he figured it out, I mean, good night, nurse. Get it, Nick? Anyway, um, <laughs> Uh, I just I think like, uh, held on well, well that happened. Well, we'll see what happens with the series. Anyway, um, I, I think the best way to throw him off is you kind of have like a dedicated crew to kind of he has to kind of keep thinking about you know whether to power through all these certain angles to really kind of uh, to kind of think through these matchups. You can't just have one dedicated defender to him because he's going to figure out eventually. He's a superstar. He's an Everybody talks about his scoring, and you know he doesn't. He's not the most capable shooter, obviously. So, what is he's averaging? How many points in the playoffs? Twenty-seven point four points in playoffs, and that's considering you know his struggles uh, in the Pistons series and the Celtics series. I just think I, I think they, this is going to be a question that obviously few teams have an answer for, but I think the Raptors. They could be forced to play a, you know, put Kawhi on him early in the series, and I don't, I don't know if that's the best use of his play, to be honest. Yeah, I that's that's an interesting one. I don't know. I don't think we're going to see a lot of those two guys on each other because I don't think it serves either team particularly well. Um, I actually think it serves the Raptors less than the Bucks, though, because. I, they cannot afford anything that may wear Kawhi down and take away from his offense at the other end of the floor. They just can't. They need him to carry a good 70% of the load on the other end that they can't just have the physical toll of Giannis against them in particular um, becoming a factor. Like there, there are a lot of things you can do to defend Giannis and there are a lot of things you just can't do and you're going to have to deal with and one of them is, you know, his strength, his speed, his athleticism. You're going to have to deal with contact. He's going to get through you. Best case scenario, you're going to send them to the line sometimes. Um, again, something I think the Raptors just don't want. I'm not saying the Bucks could afford, you know, the reverse of that, where it was Giannis having to deal with Kawhi and Giannis potentially logging fouls. Um, considering what we've talked about, though, in terms of, the Raptors are their starters and their comparative lack of depth. They are much, much less equipped to even deal with a brief kind of spell where Kawhi just doesn't have it there because he's having to carry all the water on both ends. So 
I don't think we'll see much, if any, of that. Obviously, if we have close games and you know it comes down to final possessions, are we going to see Giannis and Kawhi and vice versa? Absolutely. But outside of kind of one, two-minute bursts where the game's kind of very much up in the air, I don't know. And I mean, a part of that question is too, will we even have those kind of like... It's a staple of how the books play that they don't find themselves in those situations. Mm-hmm. You know, they win, they win easily. Um, I guess when they lose, they do tend to be close. But more often than not, they win. And when they win, like it's routinely double digits. That's kind of going to be interesting in its own right. Uh, I think Dan Larson touched on this and it's worth just mentioning Dan here kind of as we get towards the end stages of the podcast, because Dan wrote a really, really great kind of preview. It was really three keys to being the Raptors uh, for the books on Behind the Book Pass today. Um, insanely detailed, like carve out like two hours of your life to read, <laughs> but <laughs> two hours well spent. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm pretty sure Dan did touch on kind of the dynamics of the Raptors series with the Sixers and how you know, it ended up being quite a low-scoring physical series, and that suited them because they were a slow team. And their offense, although they've had a good offense, and they were also top five in, in the regular season, it's not free-flowing, and it's not designed to match up with the books. And I think with that in mind, they're just going to be desperate to stay close. And if the books can do the thing that they generally do to teams, and you know, third quarter comes along and you get out and you stretch it to a double-digit lead. I think the Raptors could really struggle with that. They desperately need these games to be close if they're to come out on top. Um, and even if that is the case, like, we then get talking about, you know, the cumulative effect of all the games they've played, all the tough games they've played so far, and where everyone kind of stands at the end of that. The Bucks are the fresher team. Like, there's no question about that. They're the fresher team. They're the younger team. If one of these two teams is kind of better suited to an all-out war, which the series could be, it probably is the books right now. But I guess, who knows? We'll have to wait and see. Um, I'm not seeing any answers for the Raptors. I think Siakam is a good defender who could bother Giannis. If he does, though, it's going to last one game at most. <laughs> like. Giannis figured out Horford. Horford is the best Giannis defender in the NBA. Um, One of the best defenders of that kind of position, that kind of size, the mix of abilities required to stop him. Um, Siakam's body type means he could be kind of someone who certainly falls along that path in the future. Don't think he's going to be where he needs to be now, or I don't think he's going to be as savvy or knowledgeable as Horford to really kind of do the things he needs to do. And again, it's not quite what we talked about with Kawhi, but the interesting thing with this is Siakam is incredibly important for the Raptors offense as well. He's another guy that they just they need him they need him to give them a lot there. And how defending Giannis for potentially 40 minutes a game um ultimately affects his offense is gonna be interesting to watch for as well. Yeah, Pascal's spacing is critical to the Raptors' offense and how they're <sighs> going to succeed in the series. And it was mentioned in the low post episode uh, with Zach Long and Chris Herring how 
the Bucks do a great job of taking away corner trees, and corner trees are crucial for the Raptors and specifically for, for Siakam. If the Bucks can deny corner trees for the most part and just give up an abundance above the break, which is what they like to do, um, Siakam's impact on this series could be really, really minimal. I'm not saying I think that's what will happen, but there's certainly a path to it where if you were a Raptors fan, I think you'd be pretty concerned about it. Okay, we've got through a lot there. Um, much more comprehensive than Winning Six is generally known for. We're known for being, you know, really long, but not necessarily comprehensive. So <laughs> that was that was a good, sturdy preview episode. Good job, all. But we can't wrap up before we get some final thoughts on the series. But final thoughts, I really just mean predictions. How is this series going to go? What is your score prediction? Rowan, I'll go to you first. because Yeah, Jordan I was about is, to say, I need yeah, to give You know how this goes. Yeah. I mean, he's only had days to think about it, but he will still probably take, the, may take days on this podcast before we finish up to think about it. You said you want a game one score prediction? No, no, series. So series? how's the series playing out? What's the series score? Okay. You know, I'm going to go confident, confident bucks. And how many games we're going to win in six? Jordan? I am also going with six. It's the only true way that this ends. I take your point. <laughs> and I'm going to disagree. I think it ends in five. <laughs> oh, I, I saw that coming. I'm going books in five again. Um, I think they'll lose game three. Hmm. I have a good feeling, which could be made to look foolish in just over 24 hours, um, but I have a good feeling about what the Bucks will do at home to start this series, and if the Bucks win games one and two, this is a wrap really quickly. I feel like they lose game two at home. I don't know why. I will get. I will genuinely get nervous if that happens. I'd say they lose game two at home Game four in Toronto. Those are the only two. I think it goes two, two, two. I I'm not saying I can't see that. I mean, I could I could also see this going seven games. I I am struggling. It's not impossible. They're a good team, and as we've already talked about, Kawhi is probably the best player in the postseason so far. I am struggling to see the Raptors winning this without the books. Something being completely off with them. Maybe the Raptors can figure something out to force that to happen. And if that's what they do, well, then they would deserve to advance. And you'd say, kind of, hats off, well done to them. If the Bucks get anything resembling kind of what they have done all year and what they like to do, I think they they advance. They advance comfortably, even if their shooting isn't quite where it needs to be. Um, I think just basically the process involved in all of those things for the books will be enough to come true this series if they if they stick to their principles and they execute and they're allowed to do that i'm i'm just seeing this being not easy certainly tougher than the celtics nothing easy but i don't think it's, it's awesome. out of the realm of possibility that this could be still somewhat comfortable 
This Bucks team is ridiculous. This look, we've been through this, we've talked about it. Um, like this is a tough series. This is the conference finals. There's every reason. Like the fact that all of the three of us, and I mean Jordan Tresky, the most cautious man in the world, has won. No, and, no, no, no. It's changes here. <laughs> and none of us are saying even that it's like it could go seven games, sure. I think we'd all agree with that, but none of us is predicting that it's going to go seven games, let alone predicting that the Raptors are going to take the series. It, it says a lot about what this book's team is. And I think there's another series win, at least in this. So, Wait, if there's another series win, but there's only one left, what does that mean? It's not. There's two series. Uh, oh, I, oh, I thought you meant after this one. <laughs> No, no, that's what I did say. At least I did say at least. So you still could have done that in a different way. Yeah, anyway, right. uh, if 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 you say at least, what does that mean? Uh, well, time will tell. Maybe I'll be able to tell you. You know, when we bring you back, depending on how game one goes, Ron. I mean, don't don't give us reason to question. So if the, if the Bucks lose game one, am I? Can I not come on a post game or a preview? I mean, it may Power just be a permanent, comment again. I mean, I mean, it may just be a permanent on? ban. I mean, and we wouldn't, we wouldn't be making that decision. It would be the listeners' wrong. Hey, I if if it's me getting banned from the pod for what it takes, I'll, I'm willing to sacrifice. Let's hope it doesn't. Okay, so we will be back. Um, it won't be wrong, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Even if it is, we we won't plan it in advance. Maybe that's part of the key here as well. If we get you on during the series, let's have it be a short notice thing where yeah. it's like morning after a game. Rowan, are you free to pod? And you say yes. So there's no kind of so the universe can't know. Um, but Jordan and I will be back most likely with some company of some sort. Um, one of our contributors at Behind the Book Pass will likely join us for a post game one pod. And that will what day are we even at? We're at Tuesday, the game's on Wednesday. That will likely come to you by about midday lunchtime on Thursday. Does that sound about right, Jordan? That sounds about right. <laughs> Until then, make sure you subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, follow us on SoundCloud, Addison Stitch, your favorites in TuneIn Radio, and follow us on Spotify. You can also follow us on Twitter at WinIn6Podcast. That's at WinIn6Podcast. You can read mine, Jordan, the rest of the team's writing at BehindBookPass.com. We've got lots and lots of preview content up there already. More to come tomorrow, including a roundtable, which should hopefully have a pretty wide range of contributor opinions in there. So if you want more and more and more predictions even at the, the end of that, they will be there for you. We got previews. Drake's got views. You know what I mean? We're, we're all covered over here. <laughs> Until the next time. Thanks. I was about to make a scorpion joke. (laughs) (sighs) Not the time. I mean, stepping on the outro, that's that's reason enough to get banned as is. (laughs) Until the next time, thanks as always for listening. Thank you, Jordan. Thank you. Thank you, Rowan. Thank you. Always a pleasure.